Please take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 as we continue our Advent series entitled Lift Up Your Eyes. Lift up your eyes and see Jesus and be transformed by His grace. Advent means coming. So Advent, during this season of Advent, we celebrate the coming of Christ. It is when we remember that 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled His promise, centuries of promises that a Messiah would come. And He fulfilled those promises by sending Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. So we enter into that longing of God's people. We remember what happened and we long again for Christ's second advent, for His return. So we join with God's people all over the world as we now await Christ's return. Again, our, our, our series title this, this year is Lift Up Your Eyes, The Transforming Power of Seeing Jesus by Faith. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says there that we all, believers, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it is our, my desire for you during this Advent season that you will fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and as you see Him by faith, you will be not conformed to this world, not conformed to our sinful desires and propensities, but we will become more like Jesus. That is the goal. The goal is for us to look more like Jesus day by day as we fix our eyes on Him. And so the Bible is clear. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will, we will be transformed. We will either be conformed to His image or we will harden our hearts, remain in darkness, and, and be conformed to this world. So this morning, uh, my series is Lift Up Your Eyes in Worship. My title, Lift Up Your Eyes in Worship. So first week, lift up your eyes and be transformed. Last week, lift up your eyes and see God's salvation. And this morning, it is lift up your eyes in worship. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to read the text as I give you my outline to save time. Okay, so I have three points this morning. We'll be looking at Luke 2 and then one section of Matthew 1. So first, I want you to see Advent in a Roman context. Okay, Advent in a Roman context. You have to remember that Jesus came during the rule of Rome. He came during, at the, the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So in the fullness of time, God chose to send His Son during the time and the height of the Roman Empire. Okay, so let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Notice all of the things dealing with Rome. It says there, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered as to be taxed. That's what governments are good at. Y'all don't believe that? Man, okay. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, according to scholars, this is a quote, the ancient historians tell us that Caesar Augustus was the great nephew of Julius Caesar and was a born fighter who clawed his way to power by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. You should remember this from Western Civ classes. And then through considerable genius and force of his person, he gave the empire a foundation that was to endure for centuries. He was the first Caesar to be called Augustus. You see that in the text, Caesar Augustus. When the Roman Senate voted to give him that title, Augustus means holy or revered. And up to that time, the title was reserved exclusively for the gods. So the Greek gods, they were the only ones who could be called Augustus. And this is the first time in history that it was approved for Caesar, a man, to receive a title that was reserved for the gods. It was under Augustus' rule that decisive strides were taken towards making the Caesars gods. In fact, about the same time Luke was writing these words, some of the Greek cities in Asia Minor adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the, day, as the first day of the new year, hailing him as Savior. An inscription at Heliconarsis, the birthplace of the famous Herodotus, even called him Savior of the whole world. That's how Rome referred to Augustus Caesar. He is the Savior of the whole world. He is God. Historian John Buchan records that when Caesar Augustus died, men actually comforted, them, comforted themselves reflecting that Augustus was a god and that gods do not die. So the world had at its helm during this time a self-proclaimed, widely accepted God and Savior. Luke chooses to remind us of that as he begins chapter 2. Now what I want you to see is the contrast here. Rome and Augustus Caesar had brought to the world a certain kind of peace. There really was a Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But it was peace at the tip of a sword. It was peace of conquest. The peace of brute force. Augustus ruled and extended his empire and exacted taxes from all over the known world, including the little Jewish towns of Nazareth and Bethlehem all the way across the Mediterranean Sea in Israel. Isn't that something? Caesar is Lord. He must be obeyed. Caesar is mighty and sitting on his throne. He is to be worshipped and revered as a god. The man who became a god with pomp and circumstance and tribute and honor and reverence. And against that backdrop, you have Luke 2 and the seeming insignificance of these two little, this little Jewish couple named Mary and Joseph. They must go and be registered for Augustus' taxes. They have to go. 
But I want you to see behind this God's sovereign hand and purposes. You see, some, seven year, some 700 years earlier, God had said through Micah the prophet, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And what we learn here in this little story is that God doesn't come to the powerful and the mighty. Jesus doesn't come to the powerful and the mighty in Rome, those sitting in the, in the empire's home. Jesus comes instead to the weak and the powerless, those that have no choice in this entire matter. He doesn't step onto this planet with pomp and circumstance, riding a chariot pulled by a legion of fiery angels in all of His rightful glory. And Jesus could have done that. He could have just opened up the heavens and rode in on a chariot and made everyone bow the knee in that moment. Instead, He wraps Himself in flesh and God comes as a man. More than that, He comes as a helpless child born to a virgin in a tiny forgotten town. In the small conquered country of Israel, the Caesar in Rome, Augustus, is the man who claimed to be a god. But in Bethlehem, notice the contrast, in Bethlehem, God chooses to become a man and dwell among us. And that is part of the mystery and the wonder of the incarnation that we celebrate at Advent. The God of all glory and power steps onto this sin-ridden planet full of rebellion against Him. He chooses to come in humility and grace. And against the backdrop of all this darkness and despair, the light of the world is born in Bethlehem. And hear me, though Caesar and Rome are unaware, others are not. There are those who greet this little babe with the worship he deserves. And that's where we turn our attention next. You see Advent in a Roman context. And then you have Advent and the worship of heaven. Advent and the worship of heaven. Look at verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom... He is pleased. The worship of heaven. Here we meet shepherds. Shepherds out in the field watching over their flocks by night. A normal sight in Israel. And they're greeted by angels who are announcing the birth of a child. And they are worshiping joyously, gloriously. The, the glory of the Lord shines around them in the night. But the question is why? 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 Why are the angels worshiping this particular birth? Why? 
Well, you just need to look back at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35, and you'll find the answer. Luke assumes you've read chapter 1 before you get to chapter 2. I mean, it's only logical that you've read the story up to this point. But there in Luke 1, you meet this angel Gabriel who appears to Mary. And he says this to Mary. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive, and in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. That's important. He says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's important. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, that's important. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. This isn't any ordinary child, right? In Luke 2, the angels announce the same thing that Gabriel announced to Mary. The angels have good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the angels break out in worship and they sing, Glory to God in the highest because of this birth. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. You see... This child born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago is not simply another child or another ruler or king. He is not a Caesar who will one day ascend to become a god. This child is the heaven-born Prince of Peace like we just sang. This is the Son of the Most High God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, This child is great and holy. He's altogether familiar and approachable because he's a human being. And yet altogether different and holy and set apart as God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And here's the reason you need to understand this. There has never been in all of history a human being worthy of worship. Though many have claimed so. There has never in all of human history been a person worthy of worship. Not Pharaoh, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Xerxes, nor any other Pharaoh, nor Herod, nor Caesar, nor any Pope nor any king, nor any president. No rock star, no pop star, no athletic star. There has been no person worthy of worship. There is no created thing worthy of worship. To worship another is to break the first and greatest commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. God says in Isaiah 42 and 48, I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my praise to idols. You see, God alone, God alone is exalted and is worthy to be praised and worshipped because He alone is God. There is no other. And yet here, in this scene, all of heaven 
turns its unceasing praise to this child born in Bethlehem. Why? Because this child, this human being, only this human being, is worthy of the praise of heaven because this is also the Son of God. The Son of the Most High. Come to Bethlehem and see Him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Not Caesar. Christ is Lord. All of heaven, by the way, continues to worship this same Jesus. Except now, this Jesus has been crucified for our sin. He has been resurrected, having conquered sin and death. Ascended, reigning at the right hand of the Most High. And we get this picture in Revelation chapter 5 of all of heaven, all of the angelic host worshiping Him. This is what Revelation 5 says. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And then John is overcome with emotion. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and and its seven seals. And he says, in between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and bowls full of incense. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God. Do you not see this, that Jesus is worshipped by all of heaven, by all of the angelic host, by all of the seraphim and the cherubim, because Jesus is worthy, not Caesar. Jesus is worthy, and here's the thing. If all of heaven joins in this worship, should you not step back in awe and wonder and ponder the meaning of a song we sing, what child is this? What what child is this that lays to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. And what's the answer? This, this is Christ the Lord. Not Caesar. Christ is Lord. So bring, haste, haste to bring Him laud. Bring Him worship. Advent in the worship of heaven. This season you need to realize that all of heaven, all of heaven worships the birth of this child. And then third, Advent in the worship of all peoples. Advent in the worship of all peoples. Not just all of the angelic hosts, but all peoples. 
The angels announced that the birth of Christ should be received as good news, gospel news of great joy. And this news is for all people everywhere, including these peasant shepherds. Now look at verses 15 through 20. Luke tells us this. He says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. So what you see here is God uses the angels to share this gospel news so that all of earth will join in heaven's worship of the Son. The shepherds were of the lowest class in Israel, by the way, and in many cases they were despised. They're despised. Again, this shows us that God in His grace is not a respecter of persons or classes. No, God invites all people regardless of their societal stature. They are all welcome to come to Jesus in worship. We see the same truth, by the way, on the opposite end, born out in the story of the wise men. The magi from the east, right? Gentiles from other nations outside of the covenant people of Israel, right? They come and visit the child Jesus some months from this night, In Matthew chapter 1, if you want to look there, Matthew chapter 1, 9 through 11, the story of the wise men, we hear this. He says, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and listen to this. They fell down and worshipped him. They find the child and they fall down and worship. This is good news of great joy that will be for all people everywhere. The Magi come to worship. Hear me. They don't simply come to pay homage or to pay respect or to give honor or to give gifts. The same thing they would have done had they come before Caesar. But they give to Jesus what they would not give to Caesar, which is worship. They come to worship the child. They join with the shepherds, with Simeon and Anna, and all others who recognize Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, the King of all the nations. Do you know when you read the rest of the Gospels, this theme comes up over and over again? They go go on to tell us in the Gospels that Jesus is rightly to be worshipped by all people. You see, it's interesting that angels constantly refuse worship. Though people are tempted to worship them. I mean, they're scary, fiery beings. They're so beautiful and glorious. Every time they they appear, two things happen. Everybody's scared, and then everybody wants to worship. Because they're like, this is the most beautiful, glorious thing I've ever seen. I must, the response is to worship. But all the angels refuse. Do not worship me. Do not worship me. I am not to be worshipped. Worship God. And yet Jesus 
never turns away the worship of others. You see, from the shepherds to the wise men at his birth, to the blind man healed in John 9, to the disciples in the boat after he calms the storm, to those who see him after the resurrection, all of them bow down and worship, declaring Jesus to be the Son of God. And Jesus welcomes and invites them. Again, if you were to go back to Revelation 5, you'd get a glimpse of, the, of heaven where all of the redeemed of all time, those who have come unto Christ in repentance and faith, are around the throne worshiping and delighting in God. They say there in chapter 5, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, earth, under the earth, and all the sea that is, sitting, that is in them say to them, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And they fell down and worshipped. You see that? All the worship of heaven and the worship of all people everywhere. It's all culminating here at Advent. So, listen as I conclude. The birth of Jesus is good news of grace to the undeserving. Amen? It's the good news of grace to the undeserving. It is the good news of a Savior who has come to rescue us from the darkness of slavery and sin. Come to rescue and deliver us from the righteous judgment of God due to our rebellion. Come to invite us into fellowship with God so that we can delight in Him and enjoy Him forever. So that we can do what we were ultimately created to do. So that, we can, so that we don't have to be conformed to this world and enslaved to our desires, but we can be set free from the bondage of sin and darkness and walk as children of light. So here it is. This Advent season, lift up your eyes in worship. See Jesus glorious. See Jesus resurrected and reigning. See Jesus as Savior and Lord. Join with all of heaven and earth by bowing before the King. Practice here and now every day what you will do there forever. Do you hear me? Practice today, every today, what you will do every day for eternity in Christ's presence. And let me just say here, worship isn't simply singing. Amen. Though singing cannot be separated from it. There are some of you who will say, well, I worship Jesus, but I'm not going to sing. Well, <laughs> You'll sing about other things. Why will, you, why will you reserve praise for other things and not praise your king? You praise what you worship. So let me just say that. Listen. Worship is more than singing, but it cannot be separated from it. Worship is delighting and enjoying God no matter what we're doing. All of life, everything we do is worship. Everything. So my goodness, yes, sing with joy and delight in God. So here's my question as I close. Are you worshiping Christ? Have you bowed the knee to Him as Lord? Or as someone else Lord? Is someone else Lord of your life? 
Are you coming to Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? Are you being transformed more into His likeness as you worship and delight in Him above all things? This Advent season, see Jesus and follow Him. Father, we pray that You would bless Your Word and You would draw near to us as we take it and apply it to our hearts. Father, our desire is to see Jesus. I pray now, if there's anyone in this room that has not turned from their sin to embrace Jesus by faith, to receive salvation and forgiveness and eternal life in His name. Father, I pray that this Advent season would be where, where they have an Advent in their own hearts, where Jesus comes to them and, Father, changes them from the inside out. Father, bless this time. We ask this in Jesus' name.